Rugby KO, a podcast that pulls no punches. We deliver rugby insights from passionate enthusiasts from the grassroots to the global game. Players, punters, professionals and partners providing uncensored opinions on how the sport of rugby can thrive again. Welcome to Rugby KO with your host, Katrina Oxenham. Nasa, welcome to the Rugby KO podcast today. It's wonderful to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Katrina. Nasa, you're currently the CEO of Rugby in India, the governing body for rugby union across the nation. It was founded, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, in 1968 and became affiliated with the International Rugby and now World Rugby in 1999. You were also the former captain of the Indian rugby team. So can you tell us a little about your journey, both as a player and now as CEO of the union? Well, I started back in 95, straight after school. To be honest, didn't really have a choice in terms of choosing the sport my dad used to play. So I was arm twisted into playing it. Uh, (laughs) I mean, obviously, looking back, I have absolutely no regrets. Absolutely enjoyed and loved the time being involved in the sport. So yes, I started off uh, 95, straight out of school. Played for my club, Bombay Gymkhana, got the opportunity to get selected to the first ever Indian national team. That was in 1998, where we played in the Asian Championships in Singapore. It was a special occasion, not just because it was my first international or India's. It was the one of the rare occasions where a father and son won the same team. And yeah, dad was captain and I was the youngest player not the reason that I got selected because he was captain, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was a long, long time ago and definitely uh, fond memories of that game and that event. Played sevens and fifteens uh, for India. Had the honor of captaining the the national team to prestigious events like the Asian Games, the Commonwealth Games twenty twenty when India hosted it. So yeah, so that was I think sort of milestone achievements in my playing uh, sort of career because. I mean, Commonwealth Games playing against the best in the world uh, was fantastic. Obviously, we didn't come out with wins, but yeah, it was a great uh, experience and exposure for us. While playing, obviously, was involved in coaching, helping out with, with getting more kids into the game, so more on a voluntary level. And then I played out in the UK as well because played for a club there. Went to university, did my master's in sports management, worked for a sports management company back in India and then had an opportunity to work in rugby and was, I think, a no-brainer to switch into to something that you loved and had were passionate about. So yeah, I started off as a regional development manager and sort of worked my way up, been involved in this role for the last five, seven years and absolutely loving it. Great. And listen, your father, Aga, has been in senior administration at Indian Rugby Union as well. He also coached at a national level and he's now the Asia Rugby president. So you mentioned playing together was a great experience. Have you done a bit of administration as well? Are you sort of both focused with the same goal and objective to grow rugby in India? We've been passionate about it like every rugby player in the world who's passionate about the sport. and. You do your bit to reinvest and to give back to the to the game. We had a better opportunity to do that because it was a very, very small sport. Uh, Dad and uh, a few of his buddies who used to play were involved in, in the formation of Rugby India as an organization. It was easier to give back and to get involved. 
dad was president of Asia Rugby until 2019. He is not anymore, but still a keen supporter, avid follower. And yeah, I mean, always there to lend guidance and direction uh, if required. Great. Yeah, great to have him in your corner. I imagine that's great. And so you're also an accredited world rugby trainer. So what does that entail? What's that part of your role? From a training and education point of view, I think World Rugby has a hierarchy of accreditations. So a trainer, so there's a master trainer that's right at the top, then followed by a trainer, then you have educators, coaches, referees, and things like that. So in terms of, I mean, a few years ago, what we sort of identified within Rugby India was there are a lot of players, but not enough coaches, not enough match officials. And I think that's a lot of the challenges for developing unions. So we kind of tried to figure how we could be self-sustaining in terms of these sort of accreditations and running these courses. So we needed people to to get onto the bandwagon and get themselves accredited and eligible to to run these courses. Myself and a couple of others uh, went through the ranks of getting onto these courses with World Rugby and we managed to to make our way up to an educator and trainer level. So now we can run our own programs within India and ensure we can increase the number of coaches, match officials, strength and conditioning, medics as well. I mean, we're still, the ratio between players and coaches is still skewed, but yeah, we're working towards improving that. Yeah, well done. That's great. Really well done. So in 2019, I read that there was approximately 112,000 registered players, male players in India and about 100,000 female players. This was, of course, before the COVID hit and competitions were affected right around the globe. What's the participation like at the moment? Do you have any sort of vision on that? Pre-COVID, there was a lot of activity that was going on. It was of years of doing work at the grassroots level. That was our focus to try and widen the base of the sport, build a good foundation. That's the future of your sport. So yeah, so we did reach out to a lot of players, boys and girls, and introduce them to the game. Come COVID, we had a sort of pause for 18 months. Uh, there was not much activity on field. Uh, we did our best to try and do stuff online, on Zoom sessions, on webinars, and did as much as we could using the online digital platform. Last year, December, was the first time we had our national tournament for our senior men and women and our junior under 18 boys and girls. Uh, we were a bit skeptical. We weren't sure what sort of response we would get. We were wary about the conditioning of the players as well from an injury point of view because they have not had much on-field contact rugby training. But we were, I think, pleasantly surprised and we were overwhelmed with the response that we got it was till date the biggest tournament that we've hosted in terms of number of teams that participated in it in, in all four categories, boys, girls, men, women. So yeah, so that was really, really pleasing to see. So, I mean, we're, we're quite happy that even though we've had a sort of a setback and everyone has, we've managed to come out strong and we hope to build upon it going forward. Yeah, fantastic. Because I know that COVID did affect a lot of the numbers. It was hard to retain players. It was a long hiatus from the game. So all of those strategies around, you know, growing numbers of participation, obviously, you know, get those players back because you had some very healthy numbers there. 
So you've got a shirt on today with one of your sponsors on it, which I was going to talk about the commercial partners there. There's quite a few significant commercial partners there in India supporting Indian rugby. Are you in a strong financial position to sort of grow the game and implement the strategies that you want? We're in a better position than we were five, seven years ago. And at present, I think our sponsors, Society General, who've been long-standing partners, who've been committed to the sport, they've not only invested in the grassroots, but also looking at supporting the high-performance teams and a pathway to get there. They've been instrumental in, in our grassroots initiatives. Besides that, I think during COVID, surprisingly, we've actually managed to get more partners on board. I guess the fact that we didn't have much to do on field, we actually spent time doing things which you kind of put on a back burner and don't really prioritize, which are important as well. So yeah, we managed to tie in a few partners who come on, not just from a financial point of view, but also in terms of partners who provide infrastructure or barter products. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, the likes of Orissa government who've been very, very supportive. We've got Blade, who's another partner, KIT, who are high-performance infrastructure partners, Fasten Up and BLK. So yeah, it's been good. But yeah, I mean, like I said, our focus in the past was grassroots programs and growing the base and uh, the spot across. Uh, sorry, that, that's my little uh, one-and-a-half-year-old one oh. running around screaming. It's <laughs> uh, fine. It's authentic. <laughs> I'll leave it in. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, now, I mean, we, we're now uh, trying to focus on our high-performance teams as well, give them a, a platform and a, a real uh, opportunity and shot at improving. So, yes, a lot of these partners have come on with that vision in mind and supporting that. So, so it's, been, it's been good. I mean, there's always... I don't think there's ever a time where one would say, hey, we've had enough sponsors and partners and we don't need any more. You're always yeah. trying to grow and get bigger. So we're still a small spot with big aspirations. Great, yeah. And so the population there is approximately about 1.4 billion people across India. And I know that cricket is huge there, for example, but historically a summer sport, perhaps not a winter sport, whereas rugby is. Do the sports compete and do you think there's a market for rugby to reach any type of level of participation that cricket has or even a small percentage of that with the population so large? With the population we have, I don't think we have a shortage of numbers. And there's, I think, enough opportunity there to get even a fraction of that involved in each game, not just rugby. We're not competing with other sports especially not the likes of cricket, we're like way behind in every aspect. What we want to provide, and we've been doing that over the last decade, has been trying to provide the right to play and an option and a choice of sport. So in the past, I mean, looking back when I was in school, you only had cricket and football as as options to play uh, in terms of sport. And obviously there were individual sports like athletics, but uh, in team sports, there weren't that many. And we want to try and change that and have rugby being one of the choices sports for schools and for kids. And I think we've, we've managed to sort of address a few of these hurdles because the sport's now part of the School Games Federation of India for the under 14, under 17 and under 19 age categories, boys and girls. It's part of the university games as well. So, yeah, so those are things which have happened in the last three, four, five years. It's a fantastic platform for kids to get into the game. And then we as a union need to provide, I think, a 
a good strong pathway for them to stay in the game and continue because if there isn't one you're going to have a lot of them just leave the sport or fall out so do you have the sort of infrastructure do you have enough in terms of i believe there's about 30 rugby clubs across india do you have enough support and in the infrastructure fields you know, all the equipment that they need, their own sort of governance, that sort of thing as well, to support that growth across all those clubs? It is a challenge. You would be surprised. There isn't a single dedicated rugby field in the country. Okay. So yeah. that yeah. So we we are always looking at sharing facilities, looking at when cricket is not being played, so the, the field would be available. So typically, I mean, if you look back, traditionally rugby has been a a sport in India that has been played during the monsoons. And that's because cricket can't be played during that time. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so yeah. it was, that's how it, it kind of started. But now, obviously, it's a, a sport that's played all year round. I think what's different with India, and I hope it changes as time goes on, is facilities here are sort of tagged as a one sport facility. The usage would be a few, a handful of days in the year. And the rest of the days, it would be locked up. So what we try to propose is uh, multi-sport facilities. Mm-hmm. A field could be used for football, cricket, rugby, any sport that could be access, take access to it. So, so yeah, so those are things. Uh, so it is, without a doubt, infrastructure is a challenge. It is getting better. The state governments, central governments are looking at it favorably. I think the, the work that we've done has been sort of noticed. So we do get an opportunity to to voice challenges and I hope they take a keen sort of interest towards it. And so what about that exposure within India? Do you have some visibility in the media? Do you have any broadcast of any of the matches or any of the competitions? What, what is the promotion and exposure like there? So you're hitting the nail right on the head. So infrastructure being the first challenge, the next <laughs> is visibility. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for the sport after infrastructure or prior to infrastructure would be the awareness of the sport. It's not a sport that an Indian grows up with, like cricket or football, and it doesn't help that there is no rugby on television. So, I mean, there's no internationals. Literally, in the last 10 years, we probably have had rugby on TV on three occasions. Rugby World Cup 2011, Rugby World Cup 2015, Rugby World Cup 2019, and that was it. Obviously, that is not good enough for growing a sport. We definitely need, I mean, Mm. even if it is club rugby or the premiership or the super rugby that happens, there has to be some sort of broadcast of it. So yeah, those are things that we're trying to see if we can speak to broadcasters, uh, speak to tournament sort of organizers, because there's a massive market. And uh, Mm. without a doubt, I mean, the TRP ratings of cricket and of other sports are testament to that. What is within our control, we've started live streaming all our national mm-hmm. tournaments. So we've invested ourselves in, in terms of starting off with a handheld phone. Now we've got a three camera setup. So it is gotten better where you could just see dots on a field. Now you can actually see players and you can relate to the sport. So yes, it's gotten better. But yeah, it is. Uh, we're using the digital platform as much as possible. But yeah, not, there's. I don't think there's any substitute for television. Yeah. What are sort of the immediate plans to take forward, you know, for this year? Because I know you've had, you know, some time out of the game, both from an administrative level, but also from, say, a high performance level in terms of growing the sport, getting all those players back participating. But 
Do you have a broad sort of strategic plan for, say, this year and next or the next three years at all in terms of exactly what you want to do? Uh, yes, we do. So in terms of our plans for this year, like I said, our focus is now slowly shifted towards high performance. It's important and critical for us to have our national teams doing well at the Asian level. We've got the Asian Games this year, which is a milestone event on the Asian calendar. And we want to try and break into the top six, top eight, if possible. That itself would be an achievement for us currently where I think ranked 10 and 12 with our women and men's teams. So yeah, so the minute we start doing that, there's a lot more recognition that the sport gets because I think the Ministry of Sport has a guideline of they would look at team sports favorably if they were in the top eight in Asia. And those are things which would have a significant impact going forward, not just financially, but also from an infrastructure and support and resources point of view. Definitely the the Asian Championships in the sevens, because that's the Olympic sport. But yeah, from a 15s point of view, equally important, our women's 15s team is in Division 1. That's something that we wouldn't be looking at for this year. But yeah, I mean, eventually, the long-term vision is to get to the Olympics 2028, 2032. We need to give ourselves those sort of targets. So maybe we might not reach it, but we'd at least get there, get halfway or as close to as possible. And then we can rework and revisit our goals again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are the people involved with you in running the game there? Do you have a big team? Do you have a board? What's the structure like? We've obviously got the union and there are elected members and members who are appointed on there. So there's a board that oversees all activities of the union and works towards policy making and governance. And then you've got a executive team on the ground led by myself. And then we've got a general manager for development, general manager for high performance and one for marketing. And we've got people under them as well. So currently we're 18, 19 in terms of staff across the country. Yeah, I mean, we've just actually gone through a whole restructure and this is the new sort of the new look Rugby India from an organizational point of view. Yeah, we're hoping we can take this forward. The board's in, uh, in place for the next four years, so ties in well that we can set things rolling from now. We know that there is a continuity for the next four years at least. Great. And so there's success on the field that you've already alluded to in relation to the upcoming Asia Games, etc., and ultimately the Olympics in the years going forward. What about success from an administrative point of view? Is it ultimately to increase the participation? What what's does success look like for Indian rugby, you know, sort of in the next year, like the immediate success? What we would like is to ensure good governance, obviously learn from the established unions, other sports, and try and implement the best practices within our federation. And I think we've we want to be in the future be seen as a model union or a model sports federation from a governance point of view, from an implementation point of view, and obviously from an high performance point of view as well. From a ministry standpoint, in terms of what would be measurable achievements would be change in categorization. So currently, rugby, for some strange reason, is categorized in others sport, which is right right at the bottom. And I mean, our immediate sort of goal is to, the minute we break into the top eight, you'd get recategorized as a priority sport, which obviously brings it a whole load of benefits as well. And then you have the high priority who are 
medal winning sports it's about moving up the ranks from a ministry point of view which not only gets you recognition but also a whole load of perks as well so that's i think our focus is to ensure our governance and our management and administration is top notch and hopefully everything else sort of follow suit right and it's just finally i noticed there was a movement called the stand united charity program which a lot of rugby clubs and players got involved with over there during covid delivering goods and sanitizing various areas all around different communities and it was great to see that community that rugby community getting involved and helping people there did you know anything about that charity were you involved as a union at all we weren't uh, involved with with that charity per se but i think we we ourselves uh, as a federation and through our affiliated members and clubs i think we did quite a bit in terms of supporting the community supporting the fraternity as well i mean one thing was to provide financial aid for all of it but the other was also to try and uh, become a sort of an aggregator where the contacts that we had try and bring things together and then help out so there was a few key sort of development staff involved in this where we not only did food rations and things like that but also looked at oxygen cylinders i mean we had uh, rio tinto as one of our partners who provided a lot of these tanks that we sent out to the really affected areas because i think in the middle the biggest requirement was of of oxygen we just pleased that we could or we were in a position to help yeah that's marvelous and are things okay now are they better now in india in relation to covid and the pandemic uh much better i mean uh, like i said end of last year things was pretty much uh, back to normal mm-hmm. obviously the new uh, variant has taken us a couple of steps back but from the recent sort of advisory that has gone out and the numbers that are showing they've drastically dropped so it's yeah. like down to about to 10% of what it was about a couple of weeks ago so yeah so it is uh, looking good and uh, we're hoping that by uh, mid feb definitely march i think everything would resume back to normal i just hope it continues this way for the rest of the year and we don't have to worry about another delta variant or, or whatever it may be yeah that's right yes and hopefully the rugby can give a bit of joy to people people can get out and play rugby in india people can hopefully see the rugby and you have that visibility that you're after a bit more and bring a bit of joy to people as well after some difficult years so Nasa, thank you for your time today. I wish you all the best um, with your all of the things that we've discussed today. And as CEO of Indian Rugby, I, I think it's in good hands. So thank you very much for chatting today. Thank you very much. Very kind. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nasa. Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. The show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website at www.rugbyko.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.